You're listening to the Transforming India podcast, jointly brought to you by the Deepak and Neera Raj Center on Indian Economic Policies at Columbia University and the Times of India. I am Arvind Panagariya, Director of the Raj Center and Professor of Economics at Columbia. My co-host on this podcast is Professor Praveen Krishna. He is a Professor of International Economics and Business at Johns Hopkins University. Welcome, Praveen. Hi, Arvind. Delighted to join you for our third episode of this podcast as we continue to discuss Indian economic policies. So, Praveen, for this podcast, let us begin by recalling what we discussed the last time. We made the case for an export-led strategy for India. We drew attention to the fact that no country has grown at rates of 8 to 10% on a sustained basis without achieving success in export markets. We noted that fears that opening to imports would lead to net loss of jobs is unfounded. In fact, all the evidence uh, shows that these two, meaning employment and trade, are effectively unrelated. We explained why the fears that 3D technology and robotics would return manufacturing to developed countries are also unfounded. Finally, we argued that if India is to create good jobs for masses, it must capture a much larger share of global exports of labor-intensive products such as apparel, footwear, furniture, and numerous other light manufacturers. Arvind, indeed, I think this is an opportune moment for us to kind of follow up on the previous episode and how outline how India can implement an export-led strategy for growth and jobs. It's timely not only because Modi 2.0 is in the early stages of defining its economic strategy, but also in view of the current India-US relations. While Prime Minister Modi has scored a number of diplomatic victories, taking India's relations to the United States to a new high, we are now sort of in danger of reversing these gains because of tensions in the area of trade policy. And given where we stand today, India is in a position, I think, of killing two birds with one stone. On the one hand, dispel US fears that India is turning protectionist, while simultaneously also creating a healthy environment for the growth of its exports. Yes, Praveen. If India is to be a major international power, it cannot afford to be continuously viewed as playing defense in trade policy. With this in mind, in this episode, let us focus on what India must do to revive its exports while also countering outside perceptions that India is turning protectionist. The discussion is also timely because soon India will be bringing out a new foreign trade policy. Yes, Arvind, and achieving export growth and job creation objectives connect to a number of reforms that India must undertake under Modi 2.0. And I think broadly we can divide these reforms into two categories, those that fall under the rubric of trade policy and those that fall under domestic policy, but nonetheless have an important implications for the growth of exports and imports. In the first category, we have policy measures such as the exchange rate, tariffs, tax policy, free trade agreements, and agreements that would fall under the auspices of the World Trade Organization. And in the second category, the category of domestic policies, we have subjects such as labor laws, land laws, bank privatization regulation, scaling in higher education, privatization of public sector enterprises. In this episode, let's focus on exchange rate as an instrument of trade policy. That's a good idea, Praveen. I do think that the starting point for this discussion really has to be the exchange rate. And here I must say that in recent years, a popular view has been that we need a strong rupee. The Reserve Bank of India, India's central bank seems to have been responsive to this view, 
with the result that the rupee has appreciated almost 15% in real terms since 2014. Now, while a strong rupee may have a popular appeal, when overly strong, it can also weaken the economy. And it is useful here to illustrate with the help of an example. Think of competitiveness of our goods relative to foreign goods. Take, for example, a computer which uh, costs, say, $1,000 in the international markets. Now, suppose the exchange rate is such that rupee is weak. In this case, rupee, let's say, is 80 rupees to a dollar. And alternatively, think of rupee as being strong, where it is 70 rupees to a dollar. A $1,000 computer at the strong exchange rate, 70 rupees to the dollar, would cost 70,000 rupees in the Indian market. Whereas if rupee is weak, 80 rupees to the dollar, it will cost 80,000 rupees. Now, under the weaker rate, the 80 rupees to the dollar, the domestic computers will be far more competitive than under the strong rupee rate, in which case a foreign computer can be imported just for 70,000 rupees instead of for 80,000 rupees. Conversely, you can see that on export side also, we gain greater competitiveness if rupee is on the weaker side. So once again, think of a shirt that we are exporting, let's say, which costs in the global markets $10. Now, under the strong rupee rate, the exporter will get at 70 rupees to the dollar, only 700 rupees. But under a weaker rupee rate, 80 rupees to the dollar, the shirt export will fetch for the exporter 800 rupees, and that is a better price. So either way, whether we look at the imports or we look at the exports, our goods become more competitive relative to the foreign goods under a weaker rupee. And that really is the reason why the exchange rate is so important that we fix it at the right level. Indeed, Arvind, and in addition to this competitiveness issue, of kind of a weaker rupee also has another advantage. As you just explained, when the rupee is strong, imports are cheap and they outcompete domestic goods with ease. And this often leads our domestics, small and medium firms in particular, to demand greater protection against imports. And this has, in fact, been the case in India for a number of years. And the price of a strong rupee has been the sacrifice of a long-standing commitment to trade liberalization by India, because under pressure from cheap imports due to a strong rupee, our domestic producers have demanded and have gotten high tariffs on many products. So strong rupee really has two costs. On the one hand, it leads to demands for higher tariffs, which attract the attention of our trading partners and dent our reputation as a liberal economy. It also undermines our exports because a strong rupee, as we've discussed, means that our goods are overly expensive relative to similar goods exported by our competitors. Praveen, we should not forget our own history in this context. Between 1990-91 and 2003-04, the average of our industrial tariffs fell from a gigantic 113% to 30%. And yet, we achieved a surplus in our current account during 2001-2 to 2003-04. And this was because we allowed rupee to depreciate from about 20 rupees per dollar in 1990-91 to 46 rupees per dollar in 2003-04. So what we know is that the exchange rate has a significant impact on trade outcomes. Now, as we talk about the exchange rate, there is one other issue we need to deal with, and this has to do with occasional charges by the United States of currency manipulation against some countries. This is in particularly in the context of China, 
that the United States has accused it of manipulating its currency exchange rate in order to gain unfair advantage in the global trade markets. This is something that can come back at India as well. But I personally think that as the uh, Reserve Bank of India governor, Praktikanta Das, has pointed out recently, the exchange rate is a bit of a multilateral issue uh, to be dealt with under the auspices of the International Monetary Fund. It is not something that ought to be determined bilaterally by a country and in this case, the United States. I would agree with that point, Arvind. And as much as we don't want the U.S. to have be the ultimate judge of this question of whether a country is manipulating its exchange rate or not, the fact still remains that the U.S. is an important player on the global scene, and we should be careful not to be seen as a currency manipulator. Uh, but I think it's worth clarifying that what the case that we're making is not for some systematic manipulation by Indian government, Indian authorities, to systematically kind of depreciate the rate in order to get a competitive advantage, but rather that we're saying simply that the RBI should not actively fight against a depreciation that would be taking place in any case. So we, we need not, for domestic policy considerations or populist considerations, fight hard against a currency depreciation that would be taking place anyway. I would actually go a little bit farther than that, Praveen, because you know, our financial markets are now quite open and financial capital flows in, but also dollars flow in because of the direct foreign investment and portfolio investment because Indian economy yields very high returns. Lately, we have also talked about borrowing in the global market by the sovereign, meaning the Indian government undertaking some of its borrowing in the global market. All these will generate inflows of dollars and these are inflows which have really nothing to do directly with trade. And that those inflows will cause the rupee to appreciate overly. Uh, and so I feel that the Reserve Bank of India does have to intervene a little bit to ensure that uh, these financial capital-related inflows do not lead to an undue appreciation of the rupee, which then goes back and impacts our trade flows. So that, I think, is, is the balancing act that the RBI will need to perform which uh, I feel that we haven't done that in the last four or five years, because as I mentioned earlier in this conversation, rupee has ended up appreciating in real terms almost 15% since 2014. Yes, sir. And overall, if the RBI allowed the rupee to weaken, it will allow us to resume the process of tariff liberalization, which would be a huge help, I think, in terms of restoring our reputation as an open economy. All of this, of course, brings us to the second important policy initiative necessary to achieve an export-oriented economy. And I think we should return to our original commitment to bring down tariffs to the levels achieved by our neighboring countries in Southeast Asia, known as the ASEAN economies. Over the next five years, we should have a program of liberalization with the objective of bringing all industrial tariffs down to 10% or less by 2024. During this process, if we maintain an appropriate exchange rate, as we did during the decades of the 1990s and 2000s, we can easily accomplish this task of reducing our tariffs without having our producers lose competitiveness to foreign suppliers. Let me recall here, Praveen, the experience of South Korea and Taiwan, the early miracle economies. In the late 1950s and 1960s, as they switched to outward-oriented strategy, they both were careful to let their home currencies undergo large devaluations. In those days, the world was on fixed exchange rate system and devaluations were seen negatively. Yet, these countries overcame such hesitation 
and let the value of their currencies fall by significant amounts. This then set the stage for shifting to outward-oriented trade strategy. Today, we are no longer on a fixed exchange rate system, and exchange rate fluctuations are a commonplace. Worldwide, the stigma attached to depreciation in the 1960s no longer exists. For example, during the last five years, euro has depreciated by a hefty 26% against the dollar. Europeans do not see this depreciation as a source of loss of pride. They know that without such depreciation, they will not be able to maintain an open European economy. So I hope that we too overcome our hesitation and let the rupee weaken so that our economy may become stronger. Rather than exchange rate, we should think of our share in the global GDP and global trade as the true indicators of our economic strength. Well, that is the last word and a great point on which to conclude this episode, Arvind. Let me quickly summarize our key points in this episode. The focus of this episode has been exclusively on the rupee, and we have tried to explain why letting the rupee weaken steadily in the coming years can contribute to robust growth, which is going to require that our goods be more competitive relative to foreign goods. And for this, we're going to need to ease up on our current policy of a strong rupee. The rupee is appreciated about 15% in real terms since 2014, and this clearly needs to change. The depreciation of the rupee would make our goods more competitive relative to foreign goods in our markets. It will also make our exports more competitive in foreign markets, and our share in global markets would rise, which in a sense is a much better indicator of the strength of a country's economy than the value of its currency. Finally, a weaker rupee will also allow us to return to tariff liberalization, which should help us shed our image as a protectionist economy and also eliminate an important source of tension with the United States. That was very well said, Praveen. Thank you, Arvind. This brings us to the end of this episode. In the next episode, we will return with a discussion of other trade-related reforms that are going to be necessary to make India more export-oriented. And specifically, we will discuss India's strategy towards free trade agreements. So until next time, this is Praveen Krishna. And this is Arvind Panagaria on the Transforming India podcast, produced by Atisha Kumar, research scholar at Columbia University, and edited by Rebecca Megalwari at Insights at Columbia University. Thank you for listening.